Welcome to the Christian History Podcast, Chapter 8, Episode 28. In the last episode, I worked the way through Judges 3, wrapping up at the beginning of Chapter 4. If you missed it, you should really go back and give it a listen. This week, I'm picking up in Chapter 4 with a couple of places and people mentioned at the beginning of that chapter. And with that, let's get started. The first place is Heroshath Hagwoyim, where it was said King Jabin's general, Sisera, resided. And it makes sense in this case to cover the general Sisera at the same time. The general thinking is that this place was a fortress, or perhaps a cavalry base, given that a well-regarded general lived there. In the text, Sisera is described as having 900 iron chariots. At least that's the count of those used to fight the Israelites. In Judges 5, in the Song of Deborah, Sisera's mother is described as emotionally looking from a window, probably in Heroshath Hagoyim, and asking, Why is his chariot so long in coming? Why is the clatter of his chariots delayed? All of this while she was waiting for him to return from the battle. But we know his army was defeated by the Israelites, and he was killed by the biblical heroine Yael, which of course is the answer to his mother's question. As for the city, in the past couple hundred years, it has been identified by some researchers as the southern Lebanese village of Harris, only a stone's throw from the border with Israel. Other researchers think it's actually El Awat, located a short distance away, and in this case, in Israel. This location's identification is based partially on a chariot linchpin uncovered in the late 20th century. All of the archaeological finds at the location seem to indicate occupation from about the late Bronze Age to the early Iron Age, which makes sense considering the general was said to specifically have had chariots made of iron. The buildings uncovered are said to resemble fortifications, complete with walls and passageways. Also notable are rounded huts, which were constructed differently than nearby Canaanite cities of the era. Researchers explain this as these cities being of the Sea Peoples, who are said to have occupied this city, along with others in the region, during the Late Bronze Age. One of the uncovered artifacts is a small, round, bronze relief measuring about one inch, two centimeters in diameter, and a quarter inch, five millimeters thick. The bronze artifact shows the face of a woman wearing a cap and earrings shaped as chariot wheels. It was found inside a structure named by the archaeological team as the Governor's House, indicating its stature and importance compared to other structures in the area. It is clear that the bronze relief was once the end of an elongated object from which it had broken off at some point over the past 3,000 plus years. As for that chariot linchpin, it's thought to be a linchpin from the will of a war chariot belonging to a high-ranking person. Then there's a bit of speculation. An Israeli archaeologist explained it as, the identification enhances the historical and archaeological value of the site and proves that chariots belonging to high-ranking individuals were found there, 
it provides support for the possibility, which has not yet been definitively established, that this was Sisera's city of residence, and that it was from there that the chariots set out on their way to battle against the Israelite tribes, located between the ancient sites of Tanuk and Megiddo. If true, it would make the identification of the city as the home of Sisera more definite. But, as you should have learned by now, there's not nearly enough evidence to make that identification with any such certainty. About all it definitely indicates is that there was at least one chariot in the region at the time. But, these two places aren't the only ones potentially identified as the semi-legendary general's home base. Also on the list is the more generic Jezreel Valley, somewhere between Tanuk and Megiddo. This location is presented as being more practical for the use of war chariots. Essentially, chariots perform much better on flat farmland than in forest or mountains, which makes sense. Also, there are parts of outside records which indicate military encampments in the area. But, and again, we run into a few facts bolstered by mostly speculative connectivity. A single chariot pen, records of military encampments, geographic features, and the like may be nothing more than what's superficially visible, which is about all that we know about Heroshath Hagoyim. There is a bit more to be told about the general from the town, Sisera. Later in the Old Testament, during his farewell address, the prophet Samuel referred to the Israelite subjugation to Sisera as a consequence of their forgetting the Lord, their God. What's interesting to me about this is that Samuel considered the Israelites subservient to the general and not to his king. My interpretation is that only a limited number of Israelites were subjugated, specifically those near Herosheth Hagoyim. Obviously, Sisera was the commander of King Jabin of Hazor's forces. He would end up getting defeated by the assembled armies of some of the Israelite tribes, specifically Zebulun and Naphtali, under the command of Barak and Deborah. After the battle, Sisera was killed by Yael, who hammered a tent peg into his temple. Ouch. According to Judges, Jabin, the king of Hazor, oppressed the Israelites for 20 years. His general, Sisera, commanded 900 chariots. After the prophetess Deborah persuaded Barak to face Sisera in battle, an Israelite force of 10,000 defeated him at the Battle of Mount Tabor on the plain of Estraelon. In the Song of Deborah, we're told that the stars in their courses fought against Sisera. Put a pin in that particular piece of poetry. I'll get back to it in a minute when I wrap up this episode. As for Sisera and his forces, the next verse in the song states that the river Kishon swept them away, and after that, the land was in peace for 40 years. But before then, we still need to learn about this general. After the battle, Sisera fled on foot until he came to the campsite of Heber the Kenite in the plain of Zanaim, where he was welcomed, or so he thought, by Yael, Heber's wife. Yael brought him into her tent with apparent hospitality and gave him milk. 
Yael promised to hide Sisera and covered him with a rug. The Talmud had some seedier details revolving around the number 7, which I'll avoid for the sake of my iTunes clean rating, among other reasons. After he fell asleep, Yael drove a tent peg through his temple with a mallet, her blow being so forceful that the peg pinned his head on the ground. Backing up a little bit, the source language of Sisera's name is unclear, meaning it could just as easily been Philistine, Hittite, Hurrian, or Egyptian. By way of example, in Egyptian, it could mean the servant of Ra. That the general and his king were from different backgrounds is not surprising. Hired guns are nearly the world's oldest occupation. Nearly. And not literally guns. It shouldn't be surprising, since some consider the fortress to be from the Sea Peoples, that the general in charge of it would also be from the same lot. One researcher even goes as far as to claim Cicera himself hailed from the island of Sardinia, owing the theory in most part to the potential source for his name. Overall, though, there's really nothing known about him outside of the biblical text, so nothing really which, like the location of his fortress, doesn't stop others from speculating. The Jewish Encyclopedia posits that his father was possibly Shamgar, which would be awkward considering that Shamgar immediately preceded him as a judge and brought peace to the land. I could find no rationale for this theory other than the adjacentness of the two in the text. Also, some think his mother cried a hundred cries when he did not return home. Possibly for this reason, a hundred blasts are blown on the shofar on Rosh Hashanah, the Jewish New Year, which is also unexpected considering he was the enemy of the Israelites, having been part of the power that ruled over them. Though, do note, I could also find little support that a hundred blasts from the ancient trumpets were attributable to his memory. There's even more to this. The Talmud claims that the descendants of Sisera studied the Torah in Jerusalem and even taught children there. That would seem to be a bit of redemption. And there's the thought that a direct descendant of Sisera was Rabbi Akiva, a 2nd century AD well-known Jewish scholar and contributor to the Mishnah. Finally, and also according to the Midrash, Sisera had previously conquered every country which he had fought against, which, if true, was likely limited to those in the greater Canaan area, but nonetheless impressive. It was also said that his voice was so strong that when he called loudly, the most solid wall would shake and the wildest animal would fall dead. Deborah was the only one who could withstand his voice and not be stirred from her place. So, a loud mouth or a lion, or an exaggerated story. Then, even a bit more fantastical, if you can believe it, Cicero is said to have caught enough fish in his beard when bathing in the Kishon River to supply his whole army. Add to this 31 kings who followed Cicero merely for the opportunity of drinking, or otherwise using the waters of Israel. Which is the point where I would normally stop. Except for something I mentioned earlier, something I didn't realize until I was writing the script for this episode. To people that actually know me, they're always surprised to learn that one of my undergraduate degrees is in history, 
It certainly doesn't fit my occupation. Anyway, that degree is from a school well-known for that degree, and one of the more well-known alums is well-known for a book he wrote with that title, Stars and Their Courses. And what I hadn't realized is where this particular phrase comes from, until now. I've oft pointed out a singular meaning of an episode, but this is a little different. This is partly why I do this, connections like that. Perhaps it was lurking in my subconscious. Perhaps I just realized it. And there's something else. The church I regularly attend actually quoted another of my undergraduate professors this week, an atheist to boot. It's probably little more than Bader-Meinhof, but I'll choose that it's more. Maybe a singular star in my course. As for that passage in the song, it actually reads, They fought from heaven. The stars in their courses fought against Sisera, divine intervention, when it was needed. I'll get to that part of the text in a week or two. That's it for this episode. Join me next week when I'll continue pushing through Judges. You don't want to miss it. Comments and questions can be sent to comments at christianhistorypodcast.com. As always, you can find information about the podcast on the internet at christianhistorypodcast.com. This week, help others to find the podcast by leaving a positive review on iTunes or wherever you get the podcast from. You can find the Facebook page by searching the phrase Christian History Podcast is three separate words. Once there, be sure to like the page so that it's easier to find later. Finally, if you're enjoying the podcast, subscribe so you get the episodes as soon as they are released and you don't miss out. Thanks for listening and have a great week.